0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in Greenville, South Carolina. All of my contact information is in the show notes as always if you need to reach out to me for any reason. And uh, just a reminder, as always, please rate, review, subscribe, download, uh, unsubscribe, resubscribe, hit the five stars, do all of those things to help this podcast get out to the masses, to get as many people listening as possible. I would greatly appreciate that. That will help me to be able to do some cool things in the future, maybe get some guests on here and whatnot. Um, It it gives the power uh, to the podcast when I'm able to show statistics that show that more and more people are listening. Uh, And we do have more and more people listening, so it's helping Um, those that have done that, please do it. I would appreciate it. And, uh, and that's the only thing I ask of you guys that, and to remind, uh, and to remember me, uh, if you have any real estate needs. Now today we're going to be talking about, uh, safe investments and not specifically with regard to investment properties, uh, but just kind of generally speaking, because there's, I'm, I'm starting to hear some angst, uh, just, Generally speaking, I don't think there's anything specific, um, but just generally speaking, I've, I've heard a lot of different people, different parties say that things are, are just starting to feel a little bit 2006-ish. And uh, just a reminder, 2006 was when things were a little bit crazy nationwide, housing-wise. Uh, housing Banks were giving out money willy-nilly. Uh, for all sorts of different uh, different loans that uh, weren't fully vetted out. And and there was a huge housing crash that happened uh, around 2008. And, and that caused a lot of people's home values to go down. That caused a lot of people to go into foreclosure. People that bought homes that they could, really couldn't afford, but they knew if all else failed, it would appreciate in value by, you know, 10% at least every year. And then they could just sell it and bank the appreciation, those people, you know, ran into problems when they then potentially lost their jobs or even if they didn't. Uh, so just all sorts of, of different things happened in 2008 uh, that caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, but the reality of the situation is, even though I don't personally feel like uh, we're having a, an exact repeat Of what happened in 2006 I don't see a major market correction happening and and you guys if you've listened to other episodes you've heard me say that before I do see a slow uh, kind of ramping down happening uh, particularly if the Fed starts tinkering with mortgage rates uh, as they do indirectly uh, of course if they start tinkering with those things causing mortgage rates to go up a little bit, that will slow down the housing market. And honestly, the housing market probably needs that. Um, But that's a different thing altogether than a major correction happening. But at the end of the day, you never know. A lot of things could happen that could cause uh, an an economic collapse that would then cause the housing market to collapse. A, A lot of things that uh we have no control over. I mean who would have predicted two years ago that we were about to enter a pandemic that would last several years and and cause all kinds of uh, crazy impacts on the economy. So it's very unpredictable, and a lot of people right now are trying to think uh, and and I, and I keep hearing people saying I want to purchase a home that's safe." right? And not safe from crime, but safe from the standpoint of, uh, as an investment, that it's not going to, in the next year or two, suddenly uh, lose a ton of value uh, that it had. And, and and that's the thing, that's what happened. It For the most part, Greenville wasn't hit as badly as the rest of the country. You know, those major urban areas were the ones that got crushed in 2008. Uh, but in Greenville and, and the upstate in general, it was not good. It, 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 was a, it was a tough few years. There were a lot of foreclosures. Um, I, I just uh, showed a house uh, recently. That was a house that sold in 2006. So 15 years ago, it sold for $300,000. And it's currently for sale for $375,000. And not selling, by the way. That, that's after a price drop. Well, that's really, really bad appreciation uh, over the span of 15 years i mean right now we're we're seeing one to one and a half percent in some areas two percent appreciation per month uh, occurring in in many areas and uh, and here's a house that in 15 years has I mean who knows what uh, it will actually sell for let's just say it's not going to sell for 375 i'm pretty confident about that but it may have experienced perhaps, appreciation per year since 2006 on average. And that's simply because it lost so much value in, you know, between 2008 and 2012. And it it took a while to recover that value. and, And now it's starting to get to the point where it's probably a little bit above what it was 15 years ago. But that's just wild to think about. It's wild to think that homes that sold in 2006 could just now be uh past the point of of the value that they had in 2006 but there are some instances of that and people want to make sure that they don't make those mistakes that they aren't one of those people that buys a house that then 15 years later has barely appreciated over what it was worth uh 15 years earlier because in that instance it's almost better to just rent and then uh you know, if you're saving money on, you know, maintenance and taxes and all of that while you're renting, potentially, obviously not property taxes, that's that's baked into uh, whatever rent you're paying, but you know what I'm saying. If you're saving money on the different expenses uh, that the landlord is covering while you're renting, and in some cases uh, that can be, in, in a sense, a more economical option month to month, then you can potentially use that money to invest in other things. That would be better uh, oftentimes than purchasing a home that's really not going to appreciate in 15 years. You need the home to appreciate in order to justify all the maintenance you have to put into it and all the work you have to do to make it your own, et cetera, et cetera. So as we're looking at the market and as I'm looking at the market, what are some investments that I think are safe? What are some properties that I look at and I'm like, okay, these are the properties that if we if tomorrow the economy completely collapsed, these are the properties that are going to be safe. And by safe, I don't mean that they're not going to lose value um, or run into uh, problems from that standpoint, but that they are going to um, either not lose as much value as the rest of the field or that they will maybe continue to appreciate, but just at a slower pace uh, in comparison to other homes that either won't appreciate or will fall into uh, a depreciation type of track in the event of an economic recession. So I have a list of five homes, five property types that I think are the ones that are, again, not recession-proof, but the ones that are going to better withstand the recession. It's like, think about it this way. When a hurricane comes through, there are some homes, some properties, uh, some buildings that are going to withstand the force of a hurricane better than others. But no building is immune to the effects of a hurricane. All right, so that's what we're talking about here. These is similar uh, recessions like a hurricane. There are different degrees of them, different categories of them, and some property types and some investment types, even though I'm not a financial advisor, and I'm not giving financial advice, of course, you guys know that, not allowed to do that, but some properties are generally speaking going to better withstand the storm of a recession than others. And here's the ones that I personally think are in that position. Let's start with homes with acreage. Now, this is something. Uh, this is something that's interesting. The past two years, the fervor, at least that I've experienced. And this is just anecdotal. I, I don't know. Um, you know exactly to what extent others have experienced it, but I know that I'm not the only one. So I will say that much. Um, I know anecdotally from a few others, uh, from several other realtors, that this has become really popular in recent years. People are starting to become a little tired of the suburbs. Um, But also in Greenville, there's not really an urban living option. I mean, yeah, we have a gazillion condos that you can live in downtown, but if you want to live in a house, you can't live downtown. It is, it is not an option, unfortunately, um, and this is something um, I, I really am unhappy about in terms of, of some of the central planning that the city of Greenville has done, even though much of it is really tremendous with downtown Greenville, but they've essentially converted all single family housing uh, within walking distance to downtown into commercial. And it's like an, someone uh, on social media was saying recently, they're actually trying to uh, get some kind of a petition about this, but that essentially an entire historic district, I would actually say multiple historic districts in downtown Greenville are just law firms now. And so uh, so there's not really an urban living option unless, unless you want to live in some kind of a, a high rise, right? Um, and some people are getting disillusioned with suburban living. They don't want to live in a house that's like right next to your neighbor with a small yard and, uh, and all that. So more and more people are starting to look at homes that have some acreage, homes that are a little bit spread out from the neighbors, homes uh, where you know you have some options for what you do with the land. Um, mini farming is becoming a, a kind of trendy thing as people are starting to uh, look for more sustainable ways of living. And also uh, as there's just angst over you know, people not wanting to have to go to grocery stores when grocery stores might be out of everything or or when grocery stores might require you to uh, take certain medical or health or or sanitary precautions or whatever, and people don't want to do that. Um, It's becoming more and more popular for people to want to have the option to have a few chickens, have a few, uh, you know, pigs or whatever the case may be. They want to be able to do that, on their own land and uh, the reality is and and one thing that you'll see that's a common thread with with all of these five thing these five property types I'll be talking about um, one of the reasons why I do believe that they all have a better chance of holding their value in a, an economic apocalypse is because there's a low supply of them and so even if the demand is low it doesn't matter, they'll still hold value. And that's the thing with homes with acreage, as you know, the suburban sprawl continues to happen in the upstate here of South Carolina, these homes that have any sort of acreage attached to them, it becomes fewer and fewer. Every single week that goes by, there is fewer housing available on acreage. That is the reality of the situation. So those homes, there is always Always going to be demand for a house on some land. I don't care what the what the economic climate is. There will always be someone that wants some land with a house on it for whatever reason. I listed off a bunch of reasons. Different people have different reasons. And right now, there is substantial demand for it. So it, it's a it's a situation currently where the demand is dramatically more than than the supply, um, and. You know, any home that comes on the market that has multiple acres attached to it. I mean, we're talking about in some obscure areas as well. I mean, home pops on the market with acreage and like, a, you know, Ennery, South Carolina. Some people pronounce that onnery, whatever, whatever you want to pronounce it like that will sell instantly now if it's not overpriced. Nobody would have ever considered living there a few years ago. And so the climate has changed where that's becoming, that's really trendy, but I, I don't think that that's a flash pan, flash in the pan kind of trend. I think that that's a trend that has staying power simply because of the the low supply. And that wasn't the case, you know, 15, 20 years ago. We had a lot of houses like that on acreage 15, 20 years ago in the upstate, but they're gone and and they're gone forever. You know, once those areas are developed, they're, you can't undevelop them. I mean... I guess you can, but it's very, very difficult um very very expensive so um so I think homes with acreage those will continue to have staying power in terms of their value for years to come. Uh, we talk a lot about multifamily on this podcast, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention multifamily in this discussion. Multifamily housing again is a similar dynamic, low supply, high demand. And demand that will always be there, and and it's not just the demand for multifamily itself, but it's also the demand for renting, and and the demand because there's demand for for renting. So you know when the economy collapses, if and when the economy collapses, um, oftentimes people do get foreclosed on, and then they need a place to live, and a place to live is multifamily. Uh, that's a common option. Is is in some type of apartment or suite or whatever the case may be, duplexes, triplexes, quadruplexes, apartment buildings, whatever the case may be, that's where people end up having to go to. And so there is a constant need for them in the rental market, and that drives uh, the desire for investors to own them. And then, of course, there's increasing uh, interest in what people call house hacking, which is basically you own a multifamily property, you live in one unit, and then you rent out the other units and you have them pay, pay for your mortgage and maybe you make a little bit money on the side as well. Um, that's a very popular thing as well that I think is a concept that it really is, and only in the past few years has started to get traction. So I think that that has, will continue to have a lot more appeal in future years as well. Um, but again, look at the multifamily on the market in Greenville. Let me let me pull up Greenville MLS real quick here and I'll tell you um, I'm recording this on November 16th. I'm going to tell you how many active multifamily properties there are in Greenville MLS. Oop! I hit the wrong button. I hit the contingency contract button active. Here we go my computer is running slowly. 10 10 active multifamily in Greenville County at the moment. That's nothing. 10, 10 multifamily properties? Um, that's a joke. And, and you know, those 10, I can, I, I'm not looking at them closely right now, but they're either going to go under contract or they're like way overpriced or they've got a major problem with them. I know that there's one in in uh, the Lawrence County, I believe it is, right now that is just like needs a full renovation on it you know it, it is like nearly falling apart uh, so that's one of the 10 that we have so multifamily supply and demand it will continue to have staying power staying power in terms of its uh, value um, here's another category here's number three homes near areas where major developments are happening so When I say this, I'm thinking about, of course, all these developments downtown. You've got Camperdown, which is... That's done at this point. They're just kind of filling the space. So I shouldn't really include that. Um, But you've got uh, County Square, obviously. Anything uh, anywhere near County Square. That is going up really quickly and it's looking really good. And that area is going to be completely different than it was. We've talked about uh, Unity Park. Um, that area is, there are some rough areas around Unity Park right now, let's just be honest. Um, and some good opportunities to, to buy some affordable housing in that area. And that area, that has staying power, right? They are dumping a lot of money into Unity Park right now. It's, it looks like it's going to be super nice. Um, there is, you know, Southern Side Brewery right there in the Commons, Um, and the the Swamp Rabbit Bike Trail and all of that. Like, there's so many things right there. That area is, you know, there's going to be some people that are going to make a lot of money in that area. We've mentioned Poe Mill, which, uh, you know, in theory, they're going to start developing that at some point. I haven't heard much much news about exactly what they're doing, Um, but that's another area that's interesting. Uh, A lot of these other mills, uh, they're starting to look at and, and you know, finally starting to to get up and running. Um, obviously, we know that the lofts at Mills Mill has already been redone, but still there are areas around there that I think uh, are, are worthwhile investments because of how when the lofts were there, then that added to, that just kind of changed the dynamic of the whole area. So long story short, you look at any of these areas where uh, major developments are happening, and I think that that really bodes well for the homes in those areas in general. Now, of course, you have to to keep in mind developers can run out of money too, and that can be a problem. Um, so I would particularly say the areas where developers that are, you know, chummy with the local government, getting getting some uh, some subsidies from the government, or developments that are specifically government-oriented or or spearheaded by the government, such as the ones we mentioned before, Unity Park um, and uh, County Square, University Ridge, that area, um, obviously those are going to get done, right? The the government is going to make sure that those things get done. They have the money. um, They're going to do it. So I think that those those areas will uh, have a big impact on the real estate around them, and I think that that makes them uh, the real estate around those areas relatively safe investments long term number four homes near award winning schools now i have to be careful here i have to really i have to be careful with all, all of this but um there, there's a lot of landmines when you're a realtor obviously i can't promise the areas are going to continue to appreciate I, I can't steer people towards certain school districts um but the reality is award winning schools drive traffic to them and they drive people that to to purchase real estate in those school districts and so um a lot of people don't realize just how important that is to the value of their home and that that's true in in a lot of different ways that is a major deciding factor that people make in their minds when they're choosing where they want to live If they have children that they plan to put in public schools, they want to make sure that the schools that those kids go in are good, generally speaking. And so uh, that's something that is going to continue to be a driver uh, of value uh, for homes in those districts. And so that's something to keep in mind. I shouldn't really discuss specific districts, so I'm not going to. Um, but the data is all out there. You can look at, you know, I think it's called greatschools.com. There's a lot of other, uh, websites out there where you can look at the different awards the different schools have gotten. Um, and so the homes in those school districts, um, obviously if people can't afford to move, they're, they're not going to move regardless, but those homes and 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 I say that from the standpoint of if we go into a recession and then people aren't able to afford to move, you know, you might not necessarily be able to sell your home that's in an award-winning school district and get your money back. But in comparison to the homes that aren't in those award-winning school districts, you have a better chance of your home continuing to have value and continuing to be in demand uh, with others. And and the other thing is that investors look at this as well. Investors look at the school districts and they see that and, and that brings their interest as well into some of these, uh, into some of these areas where, uh, where the award-winning schools are. And so it just has homes in those areas just have a lot more eyes on them. And again, supply and demand, they have a lot more demand than homes not in those areas. And so that is something uh, that I definitely think will continue to help homes that are, are near those uh, well-known and award-winning schools. Um, number five, which is our, our last one, and then we'll wrap up, homes not in HOAs. Um, pretty much, I don't want to say any new development, but I mean any new subdivision right now has an HOA that's just the reality developers just automatically put them in place it simplifies things for the developers um, and those HOAs they don't go away and because of that the homes that are not in HOAs those homes have a lot of interest in them now it's there are some people that that prefer to be in a community that has an HOA because they want those amenities they want to have the community pool or, or the community basketball hoop or whatever the case may be. That's fine, but there's a, a gazillion of those. What there's not a gazillion of, where where there's low supply, is the homes that are not in HOAs. There are not. I mean, in comparison to everything else that's on the market, uh, there's always fewer homes, not dramatically fewer homes that aren't in HOAs than there are uh, that are in HOAs. And a lot of the homes that aren't in HOAs, here's, here's another thing, they tend to be those mill houses. You know, you go to Judson Mill or Deneen Mill or whatever, those are, are the classic ones that aren't in HOA subdivisions. Now, so there is more supply of those. Now, if you have a house that's not a mill house and that's not in an HOA, now the uh, the amount of, of supply Goes and the amount of demand, the amount of supply goes down, and the amount of demand goes up even more. So, so there are degrees to that as well. So, you have a a nice big house that's not in an HOA. Listen, you're in great shape. That house is going to uh, to continue to appreciate in value substantially. Do not fret. Um, now, again, I can't promise it won't lose value in a recession. But you're in a better position than the homes that are in HOAs if you have that home that's not in one. There will be more people interested. Um, you know, and that and that's the thing too, at the end of the day is that when when there is a major economic event that happens, people aren't able to be super uh, super choosy. I should say the people that aren't able to be super choosy, they're just going to just go with whatever. Whether the house has an HOA, doesn't have an HOA, whatever, they just have to to work with whatever money that they have. But the people that have the money, that want to avoid an HOA, they're going to specifically be looking at that. There's not a lot of people that are going to have money that are going to be specifically looking for homes that aren't in HOA communities, again, or that are in HOA communities, again, there's a gazillion of those, but there is a a select demographic that is really aggressive, that really wants that community that doesn't have an HOA, or that really wants that house that isn't in an HOA community, and they're going to do their part to try to get it, and they they will be aggressive, and so that helps keep the value of those safe. Now, If you've got multiple, if you check off multiple of these, you've got a multifamily house on acreage, not in an HOA, near where major developments are happening, in a good school district, I mean, listen, that thing, uh, you've got it all. Now, I will say there's not a whole lot that's going to fit all five of those criteria. But hey, if you find something, hold on to that thing, because that thing will continue to go up in value and will be a great. Likely a great investment for years to come. That's all I've got for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Stay safe. Next week is Thanksgiving, so perhaps diet or, or do something. I'm, I'm trying to think about how I can find a way to exercise, you know, in, in the next week to try to get ready for Turkey Day. I literally ate myself sick, not last year. Last year uh, was COVID Thanksgiving, but the year before um, when, uh, which was the last time that, like, we had a big family Thanksgiving, I literally ate myself sick, and I was embarrassed, I, like, wasn't able to help out cleaning up afterwards and whatnot, because I, I felt like I was gonna, uh, throw up if I even moved, hoping not to do that this year, I'm gonna try to exercise some self-control for a change, um, but, uh, but the rest of you guys, you already exercise all your self-control, so just enjoy the day, I will, produce an episode next week, and I hope you guys listen to it. It's going to be a thankfulness episode. I'm actually going to record it right after this one, so I don't have to record uh, next week. But thank you guys for listening. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. Get that exercise in. Get in your last-minute dieting, and we'll catch up next week right around Thanksgiving.